part of our team. And part of what we wanted to do today more than anything else was just say to all of our families, but very specifically our moms, at whatever stage in that vocation you're at, whether it's brand new with these little babies or whether it's you're dealing with teenagers or you're dealing with children that are now adults, your grandparents, your great-grandmothers, or a number of great-grandmothers. I think we've even got a couple of great-great-grandmothers in this family. We just wanted to tell you we love you and we appreciate you and you're so important to us. To me, one of the most exciting and challenging and encouraging parts of the creation story. I mean, God knows exactly what he's doing in that moment. He, he has everything planned out and everything that I think is so beautiful and so amazing, he provided. Be, you know, every, every bird that's so pretty, every mountain that's so majestic, every still calm day when trout are biting down on the gulf and on the bay, everything he put in place. And then he created man. And my favorite part of that story, and some of you have heard it before because I've said it a lot over the years, is when God looks at all of this and it's so good and he looks at man and says, this didn't work out. I mean, honestly, guys, he just looked at us and said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm really glad he added that last part. I'm really glad it wasn't just, <clears throat> this isn't good. It was, this isn't good and this, <clears throat> sorry. That, that shouldn't, hang on, Tyson. <clears throat> that he didn't just stop with, it's not good. He went on to say, it's not good for us to be alone. And in that moment, he created the possibility of generations. But it's not without difficulty. It probably was, and my understanding of the creation event is prior to sin, it would have been a relatively painless experience, probably always blessing. But after sin, because sin tainted everything, after sin, like everything else, and God flat out says it as he pronounces the judgment on that sinfulness, he says, look, from this point on, it's, it's going to be pain. It's going to be labor. And I don't believe in that moment God was just talking about the actual biological, physical process of generations. I was thinking he was thinking about every moment. Getting up early, getting them to school, juggling career and family at the same time, raising children, husbands, dealing with external and, and, and the rest of your family. Dealing with culture and society and influences that constantly come against your family. Dealing with the same physical illnesses and struggles and exhaustion that everybody deals with. And added on top of that, responsibility for people who don't know you're exhausted. Who don't know <laughs> that you're tired in that moment. It's been hard and it can be hard. I have the privilege of seeing it at the tops. If we did a return on investment graph on motherhood, I see it at the pinnacles of the best part. I see it at childbirth. I see it praying together and the baby's coming. I see it at weddings. I see it at baptisms. I see it in all of these moments when things are so exciting. I'll be there for graduations. I'll be there when they make decisions about life and vocation. And oftentimes I am there when that graph bottoms out when the worst experience happens and you lose a child, 
that you thought would never, ever go before you do. When the exhaustion is so overwhelming that you need help and you need support. When the circumstances, whatever they are, the conflicts of this world and the things that come against us in so many different ways because it is a sinful world just are overwhelming. When those waves, as the old song says, those sea billows roaring and rolling over and over again overwhelm us. It's never always good and it's never always bad. It's the mixture of the pain that is a part of this world and a mixture of the grace and the mercy and the joy that is a part of a redeemed world. The new creation that's found in Christ and in Christ alone. And I think of you as I read scripture and all the things you do, and there's no way, there's no way I could come up with the multitude of what every lady, what every mother, grandmother, great-grandmother is experiencing in this room this week in this moment, maybe even just getting here this morning. But every time I read Galatians chapter six, verse nine, I can't help but believe maybe Paul was thinking about you all. He said, let us never grow weary of doing good because you reap a harvest in an appropriate time. And it's a, it's a big stretch to think of the farmer who puts in the months tilling the ground and preparing it and, and hoping that it creates a harvest and compare that to those preschool years. It's a, it's, it's a difficult thing to compare his waiting, probably checking every morning, first thing he does when he wakes up, is did the seeds that were planted two weeks ago sprout yet? And then after that, subsequent times, checking over and over again to see if the seeds that had sprouted and, and had begun to grow had been wiped out by the sun or by the drought or by disease walking and cherishing and watching and protecting and securing and doing everything that's necessary, hoping for a harvest and waiting. The harvest isn't instantaneous. It's not a buy now, click on Amazon. It's, it's a waiting process that takes time and patience and it gets tiring and there's, there's fatigue in it. But yet then there's that day, that, that moment in time when it flourishes and it grows and it's ready to be harvested. And, and now it's not only just something you've worked for, it's not just something that looks beautiful, it's not just something that exists because of the time and the energy put into it, it is productive and touches and influences and impacts everyone else's life. And that joy of knowing. But yet, I don't want to ruin anybody's Mother's Day. I'm kind of through that cycle as a dad, and I can tell you, your adult children will stress you so much more than your preschool children did. <laughs> it's just a reality. I visited a lady in our church a couple weeks ago. She's 95 years old, and she says, you never stop worrying. Paul said, let us not grow weary of doing good. Because in an appropriate time, there will be a harvest.
but I'm not sure that's all that encouraging, to be honest with you. We worked on this as a team, and that's where we landed, right there. And we, we had all this in mind, but I'm not sure that's encouraging. That's like saying, hey, this is worth it someday, and ignoring the fact that today it may not feel like it. It's like saying, hey, there's, there's a bonus coming at the end, but today you can't pay bills. Or saying that, hey, there, you're going to be so glad when this project is done, but it, in the middle of this moment, it doesn't feel like the project can be completed. It's a, in the moment of the stress and the, the unrest. And so I want to couple what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, with what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, he makes this an amazing statement. And to me, and I'm going to be honest, I think primarily because I am a guy and I'm driven and I'm competitive, I, I love Paul's perspective. Everybody's around and everybody's watching from heaven. Everybody in Hebrews chapter 11 has already lived, already had faith, already made an impact, and now they're in heaven celebrating. And he says, now that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles and let us throw off the sin that entraps us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory endured the cross, scorned its shame, and was raised. And I, you know, and I think, wow, yes, moms, do this. Run the race. And you're thinking, I don't, I'm so tired, I don't want to put on a uniform. And so I, don't, I definitely don't want to be guilty of mansplaining and, and coming up here and saying all these great things. Hey, moms, you're doing such a good job and you're keeping at this and you're just absolutely exhausted, but keep it up. Keep going. It's worth expending everything. And you're looking at me going, well, yeah, right. Maybe we should let Carrie preach today. Three, almost as if Paul anticipates that. In verse three, after he gives that great challenge, he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when doing that, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. I mean, Jesus' life is filled with difficulty with pain, with exhaustion, and with sorrow. Here is Almighty God giving up everything in his majesty to come to earth to be able to demonstrate his love to us and be able to show his love to us in this amazing act of humility. And what does he find when he gets here? He's born in the pain of childbirth. He's born and nurtured in a nursery made out of straw in a little manger, a little stable. He's questioned from the beginning. Even his own parents at times struggled with it. His brothers would later reject him. Some would later come to faith in him and come back and lead the church. But initially, they thought he was insane. They thought the best thing they could do for Jesus was take him home, lock him up, because he's an embarrassment to the family. The leadership, the religious leadership who should have been looking for him as the Messiah didn't and everything he did questioned all of their status quo and so they quickly sought to do everything they could to marginalize and when they couldn't marginalize they sought everything they could to completely eliminate. The masses 
We like to talk about the stories. It's fun to talk about 5,000 people out there, 5,000 men, so probably closer to 20,000 people out there, and Jesus feeding them with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and such an amazing miracle. But every day, how many people walked past Jesus, maybe even while he was teaching, and didn't notice, didn't care, didn't pause, didn't stop. Consider him who endured the opposition of sinners. Consider him who in the last moments of his life, being executed through the Roman process of execution in crucifixion, as he's dying on the cross in complete pain, he's only able and only chooses to say seven different sentences in those last moments when he's dying, and even that death is quite honestly for us, he had already made the decision the night before, I'll go to the cross, I'll, I'll be executed, I'll die if that means the people can trust me, find me, and know that they're forgiven. He did it for us. Even that moment's not about him. But in that moment, of the seven things Jesus says as he's dying, he looks down at the ground and he looks at John and he says to John, this is now your mother. I used to diss Mother's Day a lot because quite honestly, it's for the most part a materialistic advertisement. We spent more money on stuff we never would have bought this week, but let's don't go there today. Let's think about what Jesus did. He's dying. He has seven things to say, and one was, take care of my mom. Love her like she's your mom. Watch over her like she's your mom. Let her play with your children and be their grandmother. Knowing he wouldn't be there because his mission required him to die and to return to heaven, he gives the simple statement with a taste of blood and sweat on his tongue. This is your mom. That's why as a church, we're here. Jesus set the greatest example. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And moms, here's the part. You think through those things because the rest of that verse says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus didn't give up on us then. And I believe with all my heart, Jesus isn't giving up on us today. He loved us enough to die for us. And all he wants us to do is just trust him and know him and be with him. So when it gets hard this afternoon, when it gets hard this week, when it does feel like you could just literally want to give up, because you're just so exhausted and so tired and you haven't slept in so many days and there's so many things that need to be done. Remember, remember the one who knows exactly how you feel and continue to endure for the sake of others. And I would want you more than anything else as your pastor and your friend to remember that it wasn't just in a generic sense for the sake of others, it was for you. 
in your moment of difficulty, he's there. In your moment of anxiety, he's there. In your moment of exhaustion, he's there. And I agree with Paul. It's a great thing to run the race and it's a great thing to give your all for it. And and I know you're doing that every single day. And you set such an amazing example for every single one of us. But never forget, Jesus is there. Think of him. And don't grow weary. And don't lose heart.